Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Amen. How's everybody doing today? Good. That's great. Awesome. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at a familiar scripture. You're going to go, oh, I know this scripture, Matthew 11, 28. And, uh, but I just pray that God is going to speak to us this morning in the name of Jesus. Matthew 11, uh, 28. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. In my Bible, it's in red which is really good because it means that Jesus actually said these words. And he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Just take a deep breath there. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, you're such an amazing God. And we just continuously stand in awe of who you are and how you work and what you do. And we just thank you, God. I just pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would speak this morning. That this word would would not just be another word, but it would be something that would just shift something in our hearts and lives today look God let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this word bind every spirit of fear and intimidation just let there be freedom to hear the word of the Lord we are hungry for the word of the Lord speak I pray in Jesus name amen and amen Uh, let me begin with some questions uh, today Um, how many people would say they feel just a little bit stressed. How many people would say they feel a little bit stressed? Um, yeah. Uh, how many people would say, I wish I had more time for myself? Man, I just wish I had a little bit more time uh, for, my, for myself, uh, more time to do the things I'd really love to do. Um, how many people would say things are a bit tight financially? We could uh, just do with just a little bit more. Isn't it funny? We could always do with just a little bit more, can't we? It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter how much we have or how much we earn. We could always do just a little bit more. We all need just that, that bit more. We live in a culture today that pushes us to the limits. Buy more, do more, accomplish more, uh, conquer more, 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 more. And for some reason, we've all brought into this We've all bought into this idea that we need more. We've all bought into this idea that what we have is not enough. We just need a little bit more. And that whole concept, that whole idea is actually killing us. We're living at a pace which is unbiblical. It's unsustainable. And it's robbing us of the very joy we're so desperate to experience. The whole, the whole thinking pattern is, you know, if I just have a little bit more, then, then I reckon, then I reckon I'm going to be there. Only to find when we get there that we just need a little bit more again and a little bit more. We never seem to get there. And it seems to to rob us of the joy and the life we're so desperate to experience. Here's the thing. Our lifestyle is in complete contrast 
to the kind of life that Jesus promised and promises to each and every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to come to him. It's an invitation. And, and I believe if there's a verse, if there's a scripture, if there's a passage which kind of you know, exemplifies a, a, a thought or a, an idea that we need to hear in the year 2021. I believe it's this one here that we should kind of frame it somewhere, put it in our homes, in our offices. It's Jesus inviting us to come to Him. It's Jesus saying, come to me. Give your life to me and come and follow me. And Jesus promises, He says, one of the things I'm gonna do for you is I'm gonna make you busy. I'm going to make you stress. Just come and follow me. And you're going to run every day of your life. Is that what Jesus says? I'll read this passage of Scripture and I say, there's got to be something wrong with, with the way I'm living because I don't feel some of that many times in my own life. Jesus promises, just come and, 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 and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. If we're honest with ourselves, very few of us are experiencing the rest that Jesus promises, doesn't matter how many, you know, you know we, we've got so many gadgets today that help us <laughs> save time, you know. <laughs> you know, we've we, we got so many, so many apps today. It's just phenomenal. The, when I think about the age that we're living in, I'm just, I'm just shocked. I'm, I'm old enough to be, to be, uh, um, to be living in, in a time when we didn't have a phone in our house to now every human being by, you know, I don't know, age five has already got a phone in their pocket, you know. And you know um, we've got apps for everything. Uh, apps that help us do every single thing that we could possibly imagine. And yet we're still the most stressed generation that ever existed. Question is why? What's the problem? What's the real issue? Well, I'm beginning a new series today entitled The Power of Margins. And the reason I'm doing this is because I believe one of the problems is we have no margins in life. Our lives are so busy, so full. We're living on the edge continuously. We're forever living right on the edge. And, and, and it can be just a little thing that can just tip us and we tip over the edge. You know, it's like our glass is completely full to the top. There's just no margin in the glass at all. And all it's going to take is just a little, little bump and, and we start to, and, and, and the water flows out of the, the, the glass. It's the same. We're living continuously on the edge. And we're the most exhausted, tired, empty generation that ever existed before us. And we have no room or time for the things that are most important to us. Richard Swenson in a book called Margin said, we must have some room to breathe. We must have some room. Everybody just breathe. Doesn't it feel good to breathe? <laughs> we need freedom to think and permission to heal. Our relationships are being starved to death by velocity. No one has the time to listen, let alone love. Our children lay wounded on the ground, run over by our high-speed good intentions. Got to take them here, got to take them there, got to, because otherwise they're going to miss on something. And if they miss out on that something, that's it, their life's finished. <laughs> Is God now pro-exhaustion? Doesn't he lead beside people beside the still waters anymore? Who plundered those wide open spaces of the past? And how can we get back to them? There are no fallow lands for our emotions to lie down and rest in. 
anymore. So how do we define margins? How would we define the concept of a margin? Andy Stanley defines margin as the amount available before what is necessary. It's the amount available before, beyond, sorry, beyond what is necessary. I need this much. It's the amount beyond that. Craig Groeschel, who I got some ideas for this message and uh, from, says, um, defines margin as the difference between what you have and what you need. It's the difference between what I have and what I need. Let me give you some examples. If you have 30 minutes to get somewhere and it takes you 20 minutes to get there, you've got 10 minutes of margin. I never live with that kind of margin in my appointments. <laughs> um, if, I, if I have $100 and, I have, and I've got $80 worth of bills, I've got $20 of margin. That's margin. It's the difference between what you have and what you need. Uh, if I need $15 and I've only got $10 in my pocket, that's going to cause stress. But if I, if, I need, if I need $8 and I've got $10 in my pocket, I've got $2 in margin. Here's the key thought for the, for the series that I really, wanna, I really would like to, to, to impress upon each of us. I believe the best things in life happen in the margins of life. I believe that God does some of his greatest work in the margins of life. You see this right throughout the Jesus ministry. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's walking through Jericho. You know, he's got to, he's got to get to, to Jerusalem, but he's walking through Jericho. He's early for his appointment. He's got plenty of time. And as he's walking past, he sees Zacchaeus on a tree. And he could have easily just walked right past, but he's got plenty of time. And, and there's a prompting and, and, and he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house for lunch. And as he goes to his house for lunch, Zacchaeus' life is radically transformed. Why? Because Jesus had margin. He had time to be able to spend with Zacchaeus. Jesus is walking through Samaria and he says to his disciples, go and get some lunch. And he's got time to sit at a well and minister to the Samaritan woman. Not like us, that when we're getting lunch, it's always, you know, what's the fastest thing that I can get from the fast? You know, it's fast food, drive through, get it as quick as you can. Jesus has got time to minister to a woman at the well. He sits down and he has this conversation with her. And as he has this conversation with her, her life is radically changed. And not only is her life radically changed, the city of Samaria is changed because this one woman goes back to her town and says everything that Jesus had done in her life. Jesus gets out of a boat and a man called Jarius comes to him. I mean, Jesus has just been on the other side of Galilee, gets on a boat, comes back to the other side. He gets out of the boat. This man called Jarius comes up to him and he says, my daughter is sick. Can you come and heal her? And Jesus says to her, let me check my schedule. <laughs> gets his phone out. He checks the diary. He says to Jarius, Jarius, I'd love to help you, but listen, it doesn't look like it's going to work today. I'm going to have to limit. Can I fit you in tomorrow? Jesus says none of those things. Jesus is always on time. He's got plenty of time. He's got plenty of margin. And so he says to Jarius, no problem. Let's go, let's go and see your daughter. On the way to seeing the daughter, a woman with an issue of blood reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And then he stops and he begins to minister to this woman. And then he keeps on going. He goes to the house of Jarius. He heals the daughter. Why? Because God does some of his greatest work in the margins of our life. How many opportunities to minister do we miss because we're so busy, rushed, running all the time? Where are we going? We don't know where we're going, but we're going somewhere. <laughs> 
How many Zacchaeuses do we walk right past? Because we're so rushed, busy doing the next thing. We miss the Zacchaeuses. We miss the Samaritans. I believe this. If, if, if Satan can't mark, make us bad, he'll make us busy. Either way, we miss out on what God has for us. Jesus not only exemplified a life with plenty of margin, he was intentional about it. In Mark, it says that so many people were coming to Jesus that he, he had no time to eat. I just love the way Jesus handles this situation because it sometimes messes with my head. All these people are coming from everywhere and he's ministering to them, but it's ongoing. It's going on and on and on. And, and so Jesus says to his disciples, guys, work faster. Is that what he says? Jesus says to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus understood the power of margins. Because if Jesus burnt out or if the disciples burnt out, they were going to be good for no one. But if they, if they respected the margins of life, if they respected the power of rest, then they knew that they could minister not only today, but they could minister tomorrow and next week and the week and next month and next year. Jesus understood power of margins. So now what I want to do today is I want to look at two things. First, I want to explore what is at the heart of the problem. What's, what's at the heart of the problem? And second, I want to give you one of, the one of the solutions that kind of spoke to me, I pray will speak to all of us. Before I do that, let me give you three things that happen when we live a margin-less life. Three things that happen when we live a marginless life. Just quickly before I do that, here's a quote that I, that I, that I read this week. It made me laugh. Um, it said this, Overload is not having time to finish the book you're reading on stress. Overload is not having time to finish the book you're reading on stress. I thought it was funny. Okay, sorry. Okay. Um, three, three, three things. Three, three things that happen when we live a marginless life. Firstly, a marginless life increases stress. How many people know that as a reality? That's not, a, that's not going to be a revelation for any of us. We know less margin, as margins decrease, stress increases. Now, some of you experienced that this morning on your way to church. Could have left early. Could have left five minutes early. But you decided to just, you know, you knew it was going to take you 20 minutes to get to church. So you left 20 minutes early. In fact, you left 19 minutes because you're going you're to beat the traffic. And so you left late and now you're counting the minutes. And as, 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 as the margins go down, irritability goes up. Suddenly there's a little bit of irritability in the family, you know. Start screaming at each other. Start saying nasty things to each other. It's funny because as your irritability goes up, you start get, you, you, your voice starts getting staccato. You know, hurry up, you know. Suddenly you're screaming at each other, it's your fault, it's my fault. No bumping. Screaming at the kids. Hurry up, we have to go to church to worship God, you know. <laughs> to glorify Jesus, hurry up. <laughs> and then you walk into church, praise the Lord, God is good, he's amazing. God bless you, good to see you this morning. It's just great, amen. As margins go up, sorry, as margins go down, stress goes up. It's true not only in time, it's also true financially. Where there's no financial margins, the stress and pressure on families increases. In fact, one of the number one uh, causes of, of divorce or stress in marriages is financial pressure. It's, there's no margin in the finances. 
Second, a marginless life leads to a shallow relationships. Marginless life leads to shallow relationships. It's so interesting to me that the thing we crave the most is deep friendships. If there's something this generation is starved of is deep friendships. But we don't have the time to develop friendships. We don't have the emotional energy to develop friends. How many people know it takes emotional energy to develop friendships? Any good friendship goes through stages. You can't have instant relationships. You cannot have an app that for friendships. We'll come back to that in a second. But it takes emotional energy to develop relationships. And they go through stages. There's the first stage, which is kind of just superficial stage. And just, how are you going? Yeah, I'm going good. And there's that, there's that, you have to go through that superficial stage. And it seems like a nothing stage, but actually it's where trust is being built. Can I trust you? And it's got nothing to do with the words that are being exchanged. It's about the spirit of the person. You're trying to suss out who they are. It's a really important stage in developer relationship. And so many of us don't even get past stage one. Stage two is where you, you get some disagreements. And uh, then, then if, if you get past stage one, you get to stage two. There's a, there's a few little fights, a few little disagreements, you know, a few little things that get under your skin. Now, and, and, and there you've got a choice to make. Do I persist or do I say goodbye? And because so many of us don't have the emotional energy to work through some of the challenges, none of us ever get to stage three where we actually experience the deep friendship that we're seeking. Because any good relationship, it's going to have a few little issues. And it's in working through those issues that actually brings you closer together. That's true of friendship. That's true in a marriage. But it takes emotional energy. How am I going to say it? What am I going to say? Am I going to bring this up? What, how are they going to react? What are they going to say? Where are they going to... And it's this struggle that goes on inside of you sometimes for days or even weeks. But you know, because you love the relationship, because you're committed to stage three, you say, you know what, I'm going to do it. But you can only do that if, if, if you've got margin to develop relationships. And because we don't have that margin... Because we don't have time to actually build and develop the thing we crave the most, we settle for a like on social media. Because those kind of friendships are so much easier. Come on, I've got 65,000 friends on Facebook. No problem with those friendships. You don't have to move through stage one, two or three. You don't worry about it. I just got friends. We settle for a like on Instagram. We get excited because 150 people liked our post on page. I used to have Instagram. I don't have it anymore because I get disturbed. I was disturbed. Every time I went on there, I felt sick of my stuff. I've deleted it. <laughs> it just, it just, I, I can't, I cannot, I cannot cope with, 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 with superficiality. Sorry to anybody that used. Anybody here got Instagram? Not too many people. No, I don't think anyone's got it. Should be fine. Shouldn't offend anyone there. Um, listen carefully. The Bible doesn't say like one another. It says love one another. It says pray for one another, care for one another, encourage one another. And there's a big, 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 big difference between those two things. Never confuse a like on Instagram or on social media with, with a deep relationship because it's not. And if, okay. And if that's what you crave, then maybe you need to take a step back and say, how many friends have I really got? Let's do a reality check. How many friends do I really have in the real world? Not in cyberspace, in the cloud. I've got friends in the cloud. Where are they, boy? 
Thirdly, a marginless life leads to a shallow relationship with God. And this is where it affects us the most. We were created by God to serve His purposes. But we don't spend time with God to discover what that is. We don't learn to hear His voice. We don't learn about the truth of God's Word. Ephesians 2 said, Well, you're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We, all, we memorize that scripture. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. Maybe we need to talk to God about how he's created me and what exactly he wants me to do. But because we have no margins, our relationship with God is shallow. We don't spend time with God to discover what that is. We don't learn to hear his voice. We don't learn about the principles of God's word. Jesus says, come to me and, and I, 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 I will give you rest. But we're so busy, we don't have time for God. We're too busy trying to experience life. <laughs> and as a result, we miss out on the very life we so desperately crave. It's a little bit quiet in here this morning. Everybody okay? It's all, it's all good. Um, I'll like your page on Instagram. Don't stress. Don't worry. I'll get, I'll get back on there. I'll, I'll upload the app and I'll... <laughs> Isn't it true? Here's the thing. God's created me. He's created us. us. He's created us. He's created us for a reason. We know that. We preach about it. We speak about it. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, it might be a good idea to spend a bit of time with the God that created us for a, to discover, okay, what is, what, is, what is my life really all about? Because really, it's really about what you want. It's not about what I want. Somewhere along the line, we, 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 we've turned this completely upside down. We settle for a shallow relationship with God, even though our purpose is simply to know God. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Man, when I, need, when I read that scripture, you know, I can imagine Paul preaching that you know, to, to, to the churches. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I don't want to just know him superficially. I want to know him. Well, you know, as I'm, as I'm praying, and it's certainly one of the prayers that I pray every single day, Lord, I want to know you. I get the picture of Moses entering into a tent where, where he's speaking with God one-on-one. -on -one. And the Bible says, God did not speak to anybody else like he did to Moses. It was like this one-on-one -on -one relationship. I said, God, that's what I want. It's what I want, to know God. So how do we deal with the problem? of a marginless life. Five minutes I've got. If we're going to deal with the problem, first we need to understand the problem. Some people say, if I had more time, then I'd, then I'd, then I'd have more margin. Not true. How many people know that's true? Come on, come on. How many people know that's true? If there was an extra hour in the day, we would fill it. If there were an extra day in the week, we would fill it. And some people say, well, if I had more money, then, then, then I'd have more margin. Not true. We would spend it. We would spend it. Problem is not going to be solved with more time or money. We need to understand that the problem is first and foremost a spiritual problem. And at the core, the problem is idolatry. So you can write in your notes, the problem is idolatry. It's there on the bottom. When we think about idolatry, we think about worshipping statues and we may not worship statues, but how many people know that we can still have idols? We did a series on this some time ago. An idol is anything you look to to provide for you what only God can provide. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We believe that with our heads, 
But deep down in our hearts, we don't really, really fully believe that. We don't really believe that God can provide us with joy, with meaning, solve our self-esteem issues, deal with our stuff, help us to be secure. So we look to other things. We look to other things to provide things for us that maybe God can't provide. It's called idolatry. Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. Either you serve one or the other. Money presents itself like a God. It says, I can make you feel secure. I can make you feel safe, feel confident, happy. I can solve a lot of your problems. It says, the more of me you have, the happier you will be. The reality is it doesn't. Initially, it does solve some of our problems. Please don't make any misunderstand me. It does solve some of our problems, but eventually it makes us slaves to it. And so many of us have slowly, gradually shifted our devotion from the God that created us to worship other gods like money. Now, many of us grew up in a traditional home. Typically, dad worked and brought home the bacon. I don't remember my dad bringing home bacon. Prosciutto maybe, but not bacon. bacon. Mum was home and she cooked it. Those of us that grew up in the 50s, 60s, uh, that was kind of our home. Um, but at some point, uh, women said, you know, we've got a brain too, you know, hello. <laughs> and we want to use it, and rightly so, rightly so. So suddenly families had two incomes. And with that, a lot of disposable income. So what do you do with disposable income when you've got a fair bit of it? Well, you dispose it, of course, that's what you do. <laughs> so people bought better homes, nicer cars, kids went to better schools, nothing, nothing wrong with any of that, just please, please don't. Try to get the spirit of what I'm saying and, and just understand what, where I'm coming from here. Uh, and, and, and we, because I'm, I'm, I'm a part of this, we, we bought into a lifestyle that now requires two incomes to maintain it. Where before it was a choice, now it's a must and suddenly we are slaves to a lifestyle. Where before we chose, oh, I was there, I'll do that or I won't do that, I've got time for this, I don't know. Now suddenly we bought into a lifestyle that, that, that now, and now we are slaves to that lifestyle. Meanwhile, all the margin has slowly been choked out of our life. So here's a thought. Now, I know this is radical and I, I get that. Okay, okay, just give me, give me, give me some grace. Give me some grace this morning. Um, how about instead of having two incomes, what about if we lowered our expectations? Instead of both couples working full-time, maybe, maybe they both work part-time and both enjoy a long weekend every single weekend of their life. With lots and lots of margin. Hmm. That was half-hearted. Mm -hmm. Now, I know, I, know, I know what some of you are thinking, and, and, I, and I thought it too. As, even as I wrote this, I was debating, shall I say it, shall I not say it? I'm going to say it. I just said it, all right? There. Um, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's not possible. Pastor Joe, that's not practical. You're living in la-la land. Pastor Joe, that's not the real world. Okay, maybe it's not. I agree. But I'm not sure the life we're living is the real world either. Something's gone terribly wrong. And we need to understand that at the core of it, it's idolatry. That we've shifted from devotion to God to worshipping the idol of lifestyle. Gee, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Come on. It's amazing. <laughs> God said to Ezekiel, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. They don't worship statues, but they've set up idols in their hearts. We need to get back to believing that God is on the throne, that God will see us through, that serving God is more fulfilling than anything else, that serving God will bring the greatest joy in our life, that doing life God's way is better 
That God, that God is the God that says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That Jesus is still saying to you and me, say, come to me. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Now, I know some of you may push back and say, Pastor Joe, you're overdoing it a bit. Really? Then why is it that we say that money can't buy happiness and yet we do everything we can to get more? Why is it that we don't sell the house we can't afford and create some financial margin? Why is it that we don't cut back on the schedule so we can spend more time with friends and spouse and children that are more important to us than anything else in the whole, whole world? Why is it that we're so sick? The bottom line is because we don't fully trust God. Deep down, we're afraid that if we don't keep running, we're going to miss out on something. Because if we don't keep running, we're going to miss out on that one thing, that one thing that is finally going to make us happy, that one thing that is finally going to fill that void in our hearts. Jesus said this, he said, you know, the parable of the soils, he said, the word, the seed is the word of God and it falls on different kinds of soil and he falls on some soil and, and, and it begins to grow because the soil is good soil. But then the weeds also begin to grow and they choke the wheat. What, what were the weeds? The weeds were the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, riches and pleasure. Pastor Joe, is there anything wrong? You're saying that that's all wrong. And I'm not saying any, any, anything there is wrong. It's the deceitfulness of wealth, the riches and the pleasures. Paul says to the Romans, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is saying to the Romans, offer yourself to God first. And do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And when you, when you are experiencing his good, pleasing, and perfect will, you will experience joy. You will experience something called life. Problem is, we don't have any margins. And the problem of a margin-less life is first and foremost a spiritual problem. And at the core... Is idolatry. And I believe more than ever we need to heed the words of Jesus who said, come to me. Oh man, I, you know what I see? I see Jesus on the side. He's saying, just come. Would you just come to me? Well, listen, just come to me. He's knocking on the door of our heart, the church of Laodicea. He's knocking. He's saying, would you just let me in? I've got some stuff I want to say to you. We're busy. I'll get back to you in a minute. I'm just busy doing something. We're going to address the margin, a marginless life. Then first we need to understand the problem is idolatry. And then we need to understand the solution. And the solution is gratitude. It's learning to cultivate a grateful heart for what God has given us. Richard Swenson says, all people have within their graphs much to be thankful for. Gratitude fills grumbling drains. The choice is ours. Why is it so important to be grateful? The reason is because the spirit of ingratitude can do, does two things. Number one, it blinds our spirit. We only see what we don't have and we only see what everyone else has. A spirit of ingratitude blinds our spirit so we only see what we don't have and we only see what everyone else has. And number two, it robs us of joy. We don't appreciate what we do have and we never enjoy what we actually do have. So we've got people looking at us going, gee, I wish I was like them. 
And then we, as we look at those same things in our own lives, we go, well, I wish I was like the other. We never appreciate what we actually have in our hands. 1 Corinthians 10, I've got to finish. Speaking about when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, he's reflecting on the things that caused them to die in the desert. And in this, he identifies five sins that they committed. They craved evil things, sexual immorality, idolatry, willful defiance of God, grumbling. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And it's interesting that alongside idolatry and sexual immorality is grumble, grumbling. And Paul is saying that the issue of grumbling and ingratitude is a serious issue. And if you don't deal with it, it will kill our joy, rob us of life, it will shrink our spirit. See, real joy is not dependent on what you have or don't have. Real joy is an attitude of the heart that comes from having a grateful and thankful heart. And we cannot put our gratitude into the hands of someone else or something else. Listen carefully. We cannot put our gratitude and joy into the hands of something else or someone else. We say, you know what? If I have this something else, then I'm going to be happy. Never put your gratitude into the hands of some, something else or someone else. We need to make a decision with the will that says, I will be grateful to God. I will give thanks to God. Paul said to the Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. David said, I will, give, I will give thanks to the Lord because of His righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Psalm 100, enter His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. David said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It doesn't say yesterday. It doesn't say tomorrow. It says today, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And if we can't be happy where we are, we won't be happy tomorrow. We won't be happy with another $1,000, $100,000, a million dollars. If we don't learn to be happy here, we will never be happy there. Bible tells the story of Mary and Martha. You know the story? Jesus is at their home. Martha's busy in the kitchen getting the meal ready. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. You can picture the story. Martha's cooking in the kitchen, Mary's at Jesus' feet and Martha is not very happy. She's getting more and more angry the more, the more Mary's at Jesus' feet. Mary's worried about getting the napkins right, the right glasses, she's getting the, she's getting the visitors, you know, cutlery out, you know, all of that stuff, you know. And Mary couldn't care less, she's at Jesus' feet. And, and the more she's cooking, the, the, the worse it's getting, you know, the plates are starting to bang. You know what I'm saying? You know, as she's in the kitchen, hoping that Mary will get, a, get, the, get the hint. Nothing. She, she doesn't get the hint at all until Martha can't handle it anymore. And, and she says to Jesus, and she explodes, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Most families have had that phrase, you know, somewhere, you know. Uh, interestingly, Martha's in the kitchen frantic. And she's not doing anything sinful, bad. She's just busy. She's really busy. Just busy, busy, busy. And Jesus is in the living room while she's in the kitchen. Busy. Martha's thinking she's doing something good, but it's obvious it's not a good choice. What does Jesus say to her? Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Martha. Why are you so upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? I'm reading out of the, passage, the um, Passion Translations. Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. 
Why are you so upset and troubled? What's wrong with you, Mary? Martha, pulled away by all these many distractions. Are they really that important? Mary's discovered the one thing. The right thing, sitting at my feet. Here's the thing. Most of us are going to hear a message like this today. It's going to have little effect on our lives. Tomorrow we'll just get back on the treadmill. Well, we wish, some of us, we should get back on the treadmill, but we haven't got time for that. Uh, Tomorrow we'll just get back in the kitchen. Busy, 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 busy. Because we think that what we're doing is okay. But Martha's in the kitchen. Does she think, oh, I'm, I'm being sinful? No. Well, she, she thinks she's doing the right thing. Tomorrow we're just going to get back on the treadmill. We're going to get back in the kitchen. Busy, 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 busy. Not because we think we're doing something wrong. Because what we think we're doing is right. And Jesus is in the living room. And He's waiting for us. In fact, sometimes He's calling us. Jesus is walking through the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Adam, where are you? Many times he's saying to me, Joe, where are you? Lord, I'm busy. I'm busy doing your work. I'm busy. I wonder, is there anyone here today that is stressed? Anyone who's saying, I'm sure there's got to be another way to live life because this is not it. Well, Jesus says, He invites you, me, Come to me, or you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will will find rest for your souls. It's what we want more than anything else. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I've got to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm... I read a scripture like that. I've got to come back to it again and again and again. Remind myself that this is the way I'm living and this is the way Jesus said I'm supposed to be living and those two things don't match. Something's not right. And I know the problem is not God. I know that the problem is not Christ. I know the problem is not the Word. I know the problem is me. And it all starts with just coming back to Jesus. Because as we spend time with Jesus, we get to know Him more. We start to learn to hear His voice. You know, going back to the friendships, you know, once you pass level two and you, and you get into level three in a relationship, you just love spending time with a person at level three. You love it. You can't wait to spend time again with it, with that person. Same with God. Once, once you experience intimacy with God, once you experience a relationship with God, you just want to go back there again and again. And as you do, we get to know God more. We learn to hear His voice. As we align our lives with His principles, something will start to shift in our hearts because you can't have an intimate relationship with God and start wandering off because God begins to speak to us. He says, Joe, what are you doing? Margin will return And suddenly we'll have more time to serve, more time for family, more time to see the Zacchaeuses in our life. And we will experience something called life. It's powerful. It's a good name for a church, by the way. Just life. Life. It's this thing that we all crave. Can I hear an amen? Is that okay this morning? It's good. Let's stand together.
So, good question to ask. Robert Morris asks this question after every sermon. Well, what do I do with this? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with this message today? I don't, I don't know what you need to do with this message today because each person here is different. Some people are busy and it's busy for the right things. Some people are actually doing nothing. Actually, it's the wrong thing. You need to get a little bit busy. Some other of us are chasing carrots that we're never going to eat. <laughs> Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with this message? And if there's anything I can encourage you to do, maybe we'll talk about it next week, is, is heed the invitation of Jesus. Come to me. Maybe here today you've never ever given your life to Jesus Christ or you've wandered away. What a great day to wander back. Just invite Jesus back into your life. And you say, Lord Jesus, I just want to follow you. Forgive me, Lord. I just want to do life your way. Because when you pray, just a simple prayer like that, it can change your life. So Father, I just thank you for your word. Thank you that it's spoken to all of our hearts this morning. Because we've all wandered away. We've all bought into the lie. We've all become slaves to so many things that you've not called us to do or be. Forgive us, Lord. That's the grace to come back to you. To heed the invitation. Because, Father, we, what we crave more than anything else is rest. More than anything else, we want to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We want to see the Zacchaeuses in our life, the Samaritan woman, the Jarius daughter. They're all around us, Lord God, but we're so busy we miss them. We want to be used by you. We want to be Jesus. We want to be Jesus. So speak to us today, Lord God, I pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, God bless you. Have an awesome week in Jesus' name.